Psalms 91, beginning in the first verse and reading the entirety of this psalm, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler, and you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall by your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to minister on seven promises that God says he will do for us, for those that set their love upon him. But before we get into the heart of the message, I want to remind you that Psalms 91 is set against the harsh realities of a wilderness, against war, against disease, against very trying and difficult times. It's in the midst of these troubling settings that God provides and God makes promises for those that set his love upon him. Psalms 91 is one of these mysteries in Scripture. It's... uh, Not known if David wrote this psalm or if Moses wrote this psalm. We know that Moses wrote the 90th psalm. And many scholars believe, therefore, he wrote the 91st psalm, that he was the author of both of these psalms. Whether it was David, whether it was Moses, I think we could look at either one of those men's lives and we can see how it would fit and how it is appropriate But we know the true author of the 91st Psalm is the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it has application to our life personally. If you look at the latter part of this Psalm, beginning in verse 9 through verse 13, you'll see numerous times where the personal pronoun you is used. God is a personal God. God cares about you. God knows what's going on in your life. He knows the season of your life, and he knows the battles that you're facing. He's aware of it. He is the most high God. The psalm introduces us to the Lord in that manner, that he he who dwells in the secret place of the most high God, you can't get any higher than the Lord. He is the highest seat of authority in the universe. And from that seat, he is sovereignly ruling and reigning over creation and over the nations. There's no one like our God. He rules from on high. And since he has this position 
because of who he is, he sees and knows all and is aware of what is happening. Nothing escapes his eye. One of the most endearing truths that Jesus taught in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, is that he's aware of a sparrow. He's aware of the hairs on your head. He's aware of the numbers of your days. He's aware of the tears that you've, you've cried. When you think about the personal aspect of our salvation is that God loves you. God is interested in you. God cares about you. And God knows how to calm the storms that you and I are in the midst of. He knows how to bring peace in the midst of all the turmoil that is around us. He is the same. But I'd like to, for our own purposes today, to just say we're going to believe, for unity purposes, that this is talking about Moses. That Moses wrote this psalm. But I don't want you just to think about it in light of Moses Because if you do so, I think you miss out on some of the ways that God is working in your life at this time. Even when you don't see it, he is still working by his spirit. He's still orchestrating all things together for good. What? To those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. But this psalm really points out something significant to us. It is a declaration of from God to his people, that he will initiate something. I will do it. Now, as a parent and as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents that are sitting in our midst or watching online, you're very aware that when you make a definitive statement to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren of something as strong as I will, they remember. There's not a time that you've said to a loved one, I will do this And it was insignificant to them, especially if it's something that they like to do. Like, I will take you for ice cream. I'll take you to the movies. We're going to go to Europe, Charlene. Yes. I didn't say I will. I'm just saying we. (laughs) But when we make that statement and when we use those words, then it creates hope in the heart of the hearer. They have something to look forward to. A time that you're going to go have ice cream, a time that you're going to take a trip, a time that you're going to go somewhere and spend some time. It it creates an anticipation in their heart, a longing of that being fulfilled. And no matter what happens between the time that you make the promise and the promise being fulfilled, they're holding on to that promise. On the hottest of summer days, they're holding on to the promise for ice cream, the longing in their heart to see different and beautiful parts of this world that God created. They long to get on the plane or the train or travel by boat somewhere remotely, and they look forward to it. So it helps them to endure some of the difficulties of the day-in and day-out daily grind, some of the battles that they face, some of the enemies that they're engaged with, some of the diseases that and plagues that are trying to come upon them because they have a promise, and that promise keeps them steady. It's an anchor for their soul. And as we consider this, let's remember that God is the one that said, I will, and that he is the Lord, and it is impossible for him to lie. Impossible. The one requirement that the Lord asks is that we would set our love upon him. And I want to ask you this question. Has that ever been a challenge for you? 
to set your love upon him first and foremost and to keep it set upon him first and foremost. And the reason that is a challenge is because we have an adversary known as the devil, the enemy of our soul, who is trying to substitute and trying to get us to substitute our affection, our love, our adoration for God for something else. Jesus in his teaching even went to the extent that if you love anybody above me more than me, then you're not worthy of me. And what he was saying was a comparative statement. He didn't say you can't love others, but you have to love me first and foremost. Some people love what others can do for them. Some people love God for that very reason, what he can do for me. He can save me, heal me, deliver me. He can bring a husband. He can bring a wife. He can, he can meet a need, and they love God because of that. But that's not what this psalm says. It didn't say, if you set your love upon me because I've saved you, because I've healed you, because I've delivered you. No, if you just set your love upon me, if you would just simply set your affection upon me, your adoration, your attention. Some people do love their spouse more than they love God. And they forgot that God brought the two together, what God has joined together. Let no man separate. Some people love their children more than they love the Lord. There's nothing wrong with loving your children, but love the God who gave you those children. Because children are a heritage from the Lord. The blessing of the womb is his reward. And, and in this world that, that we live in, there's a lot of eye candy out there and people love eye candy. They, they love to be entertained. They, they love to go to events and activities and they talk about it in that kind of language. I love, I love going to the baseball games. I, I love watching football. I love Patrick Mahomes. You don't even know Mahomes. You don't, I don't know him. I can say that like I know him and I don't. I know of him. I know about him, but I don't know him. And we substitute and, and we often misplace our love. Well, I, I, I just, I, I love, I love what God does. I love what God does, but that's not even what's implied here in this verse. It's loving him. It's putting our affection upon him. And this is a challenge for the human race. The call to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation was to come back to their first what? Love. How easily the Lord can become second or third or fourth, especially when we're surrounded by the wilderness or by war, or by disease or by difficulties, because it throws us into a tailspin and we begin to ask questions like, why God? Where is God? When is God going to intervene? And in these moments, the enemy is trying to get our focus off of the Lord and on to the situation. And if he can do that, he can many times convince us that God is not worthy to be loved. Times of sorrow many times can pull a soul, your own soul, your emotions to a low ebb. And people can turn and walk away from the Lord. 
But the Lord never stops loving us, pursuing us, and drawing us back to himself. He is the good shepherd. He'll leave the 99 that are fine. He'll come and pursue you. He pursues us in many amazing ways. In many amazing ways. Sometimes he pursues people while they sleep because they're not paying attention to how he's pursuing them while they're awake. (laughs) God has ever gotten your attention in the night season? Let me share with you one of the ways that God might do this so that you can be aware if it's happening with you, it's not by happenstance. I can't sleep. I'm tossing and turning. I'm reeling. My mind is racing. I'm concerned. I'm worried. I'm fretful. I can't get the responsibilities of my job, my duties, my family, my work away far enough where I can lay down and rest. And maybe we in that moment have misplaced our love. And so we're restless at night, awakened because of the many things that could be going on around us. It could be God allowing you to stay up so that you would think about him. So the Holy Spirit could help you in your weariness to know where to go. He's a good steward of everything. Some people think, well, you know, if the Lord loves me, he would never, never deprive me of my sleep. He knows I need eight hours of sleep a night so I don't have bags under my eyes. And I think sometimes we don't understand the ways of God because sometimes we don't understand the person of God. The more we get to know the person of God, then we begin to say, you know what? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And maybe I, right now, need to be paying attention to how he's trying to draw me back to himself. If you're one of those wandering sheep this morning, don't worry. He knows you by name. He knows where you've wandered. And if you're a hiding sheep, one of those that doesn't want to be found, remember, he shines the light in the darkness, and there's nowhere you can go that he can't locate you. If you go to the heavens, he's there. Here on the earth, the depths of the sea, or even in the abyss of hell, he knows how to draw us back to himself. My prayer is that we would allow him to do so today and not wander and not stray from our good shepherd because he loves us. So setting our love upon him means we have to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional because there's a lot of other things that we like or love. But it can never be in the same manner or the same degree in which we love God. God is a jealous God. He doesn't mind if you love others, just don't love them more than him. Amen. He pursues us. He's jealous. And his jealousy is an understandable jealousy. Because he purchased us. He created us. He knows us. So let's put away our carnal ways, 
our fleshly, immature ways and remember who we need to love. We need to love the Lord. So the Lord Most High, the Almighty God, that's equivalent with the All-Sufficient One. Others have taught this message and they have used this title for the Lord. He's the God who is more than enough. Is a summary of, once again, these various titles that describe our, the Lord Most High, the Almighty God, like there's none beside him, none likened unto him, none can be compared to him. Well, therefore, he would be the all-sufficient one. Moses knew this. Moses experienced this. And so have you and I. So have you and I. But here are the seven promises. And as we look at verse 14 through verse 16 again, it says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. How many times, how many times does he say I will, which is the most emphatic and strongest use of the English language, I will, it is done, it's a promise. It gives us hope, it gives us something to look forward to, even in the midst of pain or the wilderness, even the hope of heaven. Consider that. If you're in that season in your life where you feel like the hourglass is emptying quickly of its sand and your days here on earth are numbered, The promise of heaven is a real promise, and it's an anchor for our soul while we're here on the earth. You're never without a promise. You're never without hope because you serve the most high God, the almighty God, the all-sufficient God, and therefore he is worthy for us to place our love upon him. Some people love to recreate, to go, and to be places, and once again, If that is what you look forward to more than what you look forward to in your quiet times or your devotions or in just living and serving the Lord, if you look forward to more recreation than you do relaxing and being with the Lord, then we need to sort of do some adjusting this morning. Is that fair? I think I've hit about every avenue of life except for one. And it hits really close to the heart. And that is, we're not to love money. And how many of you at times have felt like if I had more money, I'd have less problems? Ask people, ask people who have money. Or more money than you. If they have less problems. They have a whole different set of responsibilities because they're required to steward so much more. And they have to wade through all of the people who are coming to them constantly, wanting something from them, but wanting nothing about them. How hard is that? You don't know who your real friends are. You don't know who you can trust, who you can rely upon, who you should support, who you shouldn't support. That's a much more difficult place emotionally to be in in any relationship. So contentment, it's a great thing. Scott did a great job teaching on that on Wednesday, a week from this past Wednesday. It's a wonderful character trait to develop because 
It keeps you steady in unsteady times, just being content with what you have. I'll use this as an example. Then we're going to go through the seven promises that God makes very quickly. Okay. Pastor Drew talked about having more months than money during offering. Right. But it made him appreciate the steak that he got after he got done eating peanut butter. See, if you're thankful eating peanut butter and having Roman noodles or ramen noodles or Greek noodles or Italian noodles, if you're happy with noodles and butter and Parmesan cheese, then someone adds the sauce, you almost weep. Someone add meat and you almost get on your knees and say, oh, my gosh. But if you can't be thankful for the PBJ and the bag of old Lay's potato chips that you got, that the date was expired and you microwaved them, hoping a miracle like happens with the donut took place with the Lay's, you won't be happy and you won't be thankful when you sit before a three-course meal. It's a test. It's a test. Money's a test. Do you love it, depend upon it, trust in it, or do you love the one who has freely given us all things? Yeah, you steward what you have and you watch. You watch what takes place in your life. Not only does God promote God takes care of the quality of your relationships, which to me is much more meaningful, much more meaningful. So here are the seven promises. Everybody ready? So fill in the blank time. First thing he says, I will, I will. Here's a promise. I will deliver him. So what does that, what does that say? It says that I need delivered. Think of the life of Moses. Was there ever a time that he experienced deliverance? It means that he was in what? A dilemma. Caught between a rock and a hard place. That describes Moses many times in leading the people and going forth ahead of them and praying for the people, interceding for the people. Have you ever felt like you're not getting traction? He says, I will deliver you. Why? This is the most high God, the almighty one, the all sufficient one who's saying this. I will. I'm aware of where you're at. I'm still on my throne. I'm seated on the Highest place of all creation. I know and see all things. You're going to be fine. I will deliver him. Do not, do not transfer your love to someone you believe can do better than me. Do not transfer your affection to somebody who can get you out of your problem. God is not a lawnmower God. Do you know what lawnmower is? A lawnmower parent makes everything smooth for their kid. And therefore makes it difficult for their child. God will let you experience the water and the fire, but he's going to bring you through it. Because in the midst of it, he's going to purge some things out of you. He's going to purify you. And some of you have been trying to get out of it, and you need to go through it. And you need to pay attention to what's going on in your life. If you're up at night a lot, God is pursuing you. He wants your affection because he wants to deliver you. But you just can't pursue him for the deliverance. He is not naive to our motives. He's aware of them. And he'll help us get them right. 
Why? Because of this attribute about him. He's patient. You think you can wait? (laughs) He can wait. Yeah, he can wait. He can outweigh all of us. He's not going anywhere. He just like, all right, you want to be there. I'll go over and help brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so for a little bit. I'll come back. You'll still be stuck, and then I'll help you. I'll help you. Number two, I'll set him on high because he has known my name. And that's what took place when you and I said yes to Jesus. We were seated in the heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. In every name that is named. Not only in this life, but in the life that is to come. The moment you placed your love on Jesus and said, yes, you were seated on high. You called upon his name. You were seated on high. It's a promise. That's where you sit. And that's where you're to rule and reign from, on high. Number three, I will answer him. Which means that we need some counsel. Call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. I will remind you once again that God talks to know-nots. He does not talk to know-it-alls. He lets know-it-alls talk. But he doesn't answer. Why should he? They're not asking questions. And the only way you can receive an answer is if you ask a question. Some people are trying to tell God what is going on instead of asking God, how can you help me through this? He will answer how he can help you. If you're just telling him what's going on, it's almost an insult to where he sits and to where we sit. I didn't say he was insulted. But we need, once again, to remember who we're talking to and where he does reside. Number four, he will be with him in trouble. And this is an interesting one because... When trouble comes, trouble is like offenses. It demands all your attention. The reason that offenses are so dangerous is they cause you to forget anything that's good. One of the issues with trouble is it causes you to forget all the things that God has done that's preceded the trouble. But he says, right in the midst of trouble, I'm with you. Can I say theologically, this is a really true statement, that God permits trouble He's not the author of trouble, but he permits trouble to come in. Why? So that we will not misplace our love upon anyone. In troubling times, the thing that needs to rise to the top is I love God. I love God. Don't have the job that you want? Troubled about your marriage, your kids, your health, your finances? Troubling, troubling, troubling? Your own emotional well-being? He's with you in that. Set your love upon him. I will be with him. Number five, I will honor him. This is maybe one of the most humbling things that the Lord does is that he shows favor to us. Any parent in here who's uh, worth your salt, and I think there's a whole bunch of those in this place. If your kids simply love you for who you are and not what you do or what you can do, but they love you, I'll tell you, you'll kick down every door for them. You'll create, you know, because there's something about that character quality that's going to cause you to go the second mile for them. And God says, I'm going to honor you. This morning, this morning, we've already recognized Dr. Jenkins, but we show honor to whom honor is due. We honor him for his 
faithfulness to the king and to his kingdom. And when you love God, he says, I'm going to bestow honor upon you. Honor means that people do things for you and they don't even know why. A week ago, I was at Smoky Row in Des Moines and I was meeting with some pastors. I'm standing in line. There's a young man in front of me and he's got a shiner like somebody put a left hook on him and his eye all around his orbit is purple. It just had to happen recently. And I'm standing there and just waiting my turn to place my order. And he looks at me and he, and he said, how are you doing? I said, hey, I'm doing well. How are you? And he says, well, you can see I'm not doing real good. And, and I said, well, what's the other guy look like? <laughs> I said, you got to remember that. I said, whenever I got in a fight and I went home and I had a fat lip or a bloody nose or I, I was scraped up. My mom would say, Doug, what happened? I'd say, Mom, you can see me. But, man, you ought to see that other guy. He's, oh, he's ten times worse. And I said, so, you know, how's that other guy? And he said, you know, I'll tell you something. And I said, I'm listening. He said, oh, man, I got in a fight with my girlfriend, and then she went out clubbing, and then I went chasing her clubbing, and it was about 1230, and she wanted to get my goat, and so she was dancing with this other guy, and she knows that would get my blood pressure up. And so I went out on the dance floor, and I said, bam. He said, yeah, just like that. Cold cocked me, didn't even prepare me. And then he said this to me, which showed me he had some parents that had sense. You know, my dad always said, nothing good happens after midnight. And I said, yeah, it depends on where you're at or what's going on. And I said, how are you? And he said, my name's Christian. And I said, you're telling me a lot about yourself. And he said, yeah. Standing there, he gets his order done, turns around walks over to the cashier and he says, whatever he wants, I want to buy it for him. That's honor. I didn't do anything but listen. All I did was give him an opportunity to share something that he was embarrassed about, had regrets over, (laughs) was out in public. And I told him, I said, I think your future is really bright. I don't know what your heritage is. I don't know what's going on with you right now. But I believe you know the path you need to be on. And I think you know how to get back there. So I went back and met with the pastors. I'm leaving. He stayed at the restaurant. He stayed at the restaurant while I was in that meeting. And while I'm walking out, he said, can you talk to me while I walk to the car? I said, you're doing a good job talking. Why don't we go out there? You keep talking. I'll keep listening. Honor is an interesting thing. I am... Really, I'm a stranger to this guy. I'm standing in line at a coffee shop. But an open door happened. And honor came for an unbeknownst servant like me for one reason. I'm working at what I'm teaching you guys to do. Love God, period. No qualifiers. Just love him. It's the highest and greatest of all the commandments. Love him and watch what he'll do and watch how he'll work and watch what happens. Just love him. Don't allow this world or the wilderness or war or disease to pull you away from loving God. Loving God. I will satisfy him with long life. And so if you're not satisfied, keep living. (laughs) 
When you're satisfied, go home. If you're not satisfied, keep living. And if you're, if you're, you're done living, go home and be with Jesus. And, uh, we'll see you soon. Number seven, I'll show him my salvation. God's salvation includes every area of my life, includes every area of your life. Moses saw the day of the Lord. And you know what? We're seeing the signs of the times of the coming of the Lord. The day of the Lord is very close. And in the meantime, thank God we serve the most high God, the almighty God, the all sufficient God who says to his children, to those he's gathering under his wings, thank you for putting your love upon me. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Seven promises, which means it's set in stone. It's the number of completion of perfection. It's done. It's done. I will. Just like when I say to Charlene, I will take you to South Carolina tomorrow to celebrate our anniversary. It is done. I will get on that airplane with you. I will have fun. Amen. I will forget about all the responsibilities. And I will focus on your beauty. I will. Oh, the anticipation she has. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does he have up his sleeve? Oh, if you only knew. God, I love you. Oh, what he has up his sleeve, what he'll do for you, how far he'll reach to help you. Oh, may we always, always love him for one reason. He first loved us. Oh, my gosh. And he doesn't count my sins against me. But they were all nailed to the cross in my sin in my shame he remembers no more no more oh the love of God may you be wrapped in the reality of it that God loves you amen thank you for listening to today's message we hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best if you have any questions about today's message need prayer or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.